Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. I am delighted to have as my guest today, Ferdinando Villa, who is a professor at the Bass Center for Climate Change, sometimes known as the BC3. This is a great episode because, of course, I w- we want to learn all about the, the work that Ferdinando and his colleagues are doing, some very cool stuff around using Earth observation. But also, hopefully, we can have a, a bit of a conversation about how geo technologies and the geo industry in the broadest sense can be used to help improve sustainability and get involved in what is you know, the challenge of our, our generation of how we're going to deal with climate change and how we're going to encourage sustainability. So, Fernando, welcome to the show. You're joining us today from Bilbao, I believe. So exactly. great to have you. Uh, Kaicho, as they say in Basque. And yeah, please introduce yourself and tell us who you are. Thank you, Heather. It's great to meet you and it's great to meet everyone who will listen. I'm Ferdinando Villa. I'm, uh, I'm an Italian living in Bilbao. I live just about everywhere, US, uh, Spain, etc. as things go when you're a scientist. Uh, my group here is uh, concerned about uh, sustainability, first of all, but information integration as a way to sustainability. Obviously, geospatial information, which is uh, largely what we are concerned with in this conversation, is a big part of that. It's not the only part of that. We've been working a lot of inter- on uh, semantic integration of all kinds of information, so building an infrastructure that can basically make uh, data and models uh, talk to each other without human supervision, which has just been the, basically the, the mission of my life uh, since the last at least well, 20, 25 years. I'm betraying my age here, but uh, that's more or less uh, the context uh, for our conversation today. And in terms of uh, who I am, I am a theoretical ecologist, uh, although I don't exactly remember what ecology is. And I've been basically turning into a computer scientist uh, and an ecological economist and a number of other things. At this point, I'm kind of in a limbo where I don't know who I am. But uh, I'm working on projects that really touch on uh, multiple disciplines at the same time. And that, I think, is the most important part of my expertise. Well, fantastic. Welcome to the show. What exactly is the Bass Center for Climate Change where you're based, the BC3? Like, what, it's a, it's part of a university or it's a research institute or what are you guys doing there? It is a governmental research institute, but by governmental, I mean the Basque government, not the Spanish government. And it's basically one of, uh, I think, 13, there may be one, one or two more now, centers of excellence that uh, the Basque government has created in the last uh, 10 years. It's a pretty young institute. I think it's 11 years old and 12, something like that. It is meant uh, to gather people who worry about climate change from all perspectives. Uh, it was originally more from an economic perspective. And now it's very much an interdisciplinary institution. And we actually got uh, quite a bit of recognition as being uh, one of the few totally, really seriously interdisciplinary centers, which is obviously something easy to talk to talk about uh, and brag about, but it's not an easy challenge to, to handle when you actually try to do it. So the main driver for having you on the show was your recent announcement about your Ares project that, that you guys were working on, which, um, if I understand correctly, is kind of an artificial intelligence that uses Earth observation data to help us understand environmental trends. So give us the background on that. What exactly is that and what have you built and who uses it and why and how? 
Explain this project first. Please. Sure, I'm happy to. So first of all, if you don't mind me correcting a bit, uh, Eris is not really that new. Uh, it hasn't been re- announced recently. What we did al- announce recently was a very large-scale application of Eris, which is called Eris for SIA. And SIA is the natural capital accounting standard that was recently appro- approved by the United Nations. Okay. First of all, thank you for cracking a bit. Please also explain exactly what, because when I was reading up on this, this whole concept of, of natural accounting is kind of a new one for me, and, and I think probably also for many listeners. So please go deep on that. Explain it. Explain exactly what's going Absolutely. Done. Absolutely. If it's any consolation, it's new to me too. So it's not particularly easy for me because the thing is we have three layers. So one is the technological layer, which is not even one of the names that we mentioned is called K-Lab. It's basically a platform to build uh, semantically integrated uh, knowledge hubs that can talk to each other over the network. And on the top of that, we built Arius, which is a platform dedicated to sustainability. And Arius has been around uh, since uh, the first funding from the National Science Foundation in the U.S., uh, about 14 years. So not a new not a new platform. It's been a known entity for the initiated. And uh, on top of Arius, which is now a platform where you can actually build the specific uh, applications that implement specific bottom lines, you have applications like the Arius for SIA, which is uh, a way to use uh, the Arius platform, which connects uh, and links uh, a lot of different knowledge, models, data, model components, etc., for a particular set of goals. Now, this is all very abstract. The main uh, purpose of uh, the technology, and uh, obviously applied to the platform, is uh, to respond to one question. Give me an observation of this concept. Speaking, uh, I'm talking about uh, conceptually defined problems, so something like carbon sequestration, in a particular context. And by context, I mean a spatial context and a temporal context, and including the specific uh, set of uh, purposes that your inquiry has. So who you are and why you're asking, basically. So we have ways to formalize all of these things. And the API of the system basically gets a question that takes uh, a geometry, scale, space, time, and all these things, uh, and a concept you want to observe and gives you back uh, an observation of that concept, which is the result that you care for. And uh, in order to do that, uh, the artificial intelligence parses your concept, uh, understands uh, what is linked to by using ontology and the machine reasoning and uh, builds uh, the best possible in the condition it's in uh, the best possible algorithm that can actually create the observation as a scientific artifact and it gives you back this artifact which could be maps uh, it could be a sequence of maps it could be tables it could be any kind of um, scientific observation so it's a very generic uh, uh, platform, which is not necessarily linked to one particular problem or even to sustainability in general, which is why there are layers. So the technological layer is meant to give you the framework and the instrumentation to express uh, and calculate any kind of, uh, of concept as long as the knowledge is there. Then the Arius platform implements this uh, on a set of servers, on a set of different partnerships, etc., in, uh, so that uh, data can be found and connected and models can be found and connected to this data. And then on the top of that, uh, you have an application programming fra- framework where you can build applications that are specific to a, particular co- to a particular problem. So this specific problem that we were talking about, the natural capital accounting, is what governments 
have to do when they do their economic balance, basically, in order to account for natural values, values like uh, the ability of forest uh, of uh, preventing uh, sediment from going into the waters, thereby reducing water quality, or the ability of forests to capture carbon, or uh, the aesthetic values that uh, support the tourism in the area, etc., etc. There's a whole whole lot of those. And those kind of values are normally not very well accounted for because they are not necessarily easy to turn into economic figures or sometimes they can cannot possibly be uh, turned into economic figures, which doesn't mean they are not there and they are not important. It has been uh, for, a, for a number of years at this point uh, a need for all governments to account for values, for those values, but there has been little understanding, little agreement on how to do it. So the United Nations comes in at this point uh, and builds uh, over a period of several years uh, this accounting framework, which is called the CIA, S-E-E-A. I don't, uh, don't ask me what the acronym stands for. I'm horrible at acronyms. And gives it to all the countries, uh, but many countries are unequipped uh, to actually do the complex calculations and the complex set of assumptions that uh, are needed in order to implement the, the framework. So that's where we, we come in. We come in. So we build uh, enough uh, infrastructure and enough models so that there is a web application where you can go and you can you can do it if you are a government, but you also can do it if you are a private citizen. It's a completely open architecture. So that's the, the, the part I like. Uh, as a citizen or as an NGO, I can go in and check what my government is uh, telling that my natural values are and see if there are any discrepancies, for example. And what what is the underlying data layer? It's from just aerial imagery and satellite imagery and things like that. And then kind of the system kind of assesses how much forest there is or something and says, and the signs of value to it or how, how, what what are the inputs? Where's this data coming from? The the good part is that, uh, and it was also my nightmare because uh, every time I I go into a new context and I propose to do something with them, and my fir- the first question is, what data do you need? And my al- always my my answer is, uh, what data do you have? Because the point is that uh, it's not a model or it's not a set of models, but it is uh, an intelligent system that will take whatever is available and do the best, make the best use of it. Which means that it could be, as you say, it, and it usually is when you don't have anything else. So if if a country hasn't invested in building its own data layers, its own methodologies, etc., then you usually resort to global earth observations and uh, global data products, uh, land cover type, these kind of things. But that's only the bottom line. And if a country has a better set of information, all it has to do is to put it on the network and annotate it semantically so that the system can build another path that hmm. can use that information. And there is a ranking of that information during the machine reasoning that builds the algorithm, which happens when you click the button, basically. You click the button, the machine finds out uh, which are the potential pathways for your model to be to be computed and chooses the one that is likely to reflect the best information that is available. And by best, I mean a lot of things. It's a complicated story, but it could mean, for example, the most specific, the most uh, the closest to the resolutions you want in both space and time. And eventually also in this ranking process, there will be machine learning and incorporating feedback from uh, both uh, the recipients of the outputs and the producers of the outputs. So, but as the data av- that's available evolves, I mean, one of the mega trends, of course, in in the geospatial world is that we're we're now drowning in data. It used to be difficult to get data, but now at, at every level, be it Earth observation, be it from satellites to to drones to yeah. you know tracking devices and everything, they've all become cheaper 
uh, more reliable, uh, much more available, uh, much more connected. And so the amount of data is just exploding exponentially. So as new data becomes available, doesn't that kind of change the model significantly? And then you realize that the previous observations or, or conclusions perhaps, you know, weren't weren't as precise or... Yes, sir. Uh, yes, and that's the beauty, I think, of the of this technology. Basically, the fact of the data being there and uh, having been uh, semantically described so that the system knows not what data you have, but what they are, actually, what they represent, means that every time you click the button, the system might get better information, but it will be entirely transparent on, what, on how and what it, it is chosen at each time. And obviously, data keep piling up. They reflect different slices of time. So you want to do this kind of accounting, for example, year by year. So you do want to have uh, the, the new information and you don't want to have to hardwire it to the model. The point is that every model that the machine encounters, it's written in semantic terms. So it's very short and it's very readable. A child can read it. The connection between different models happen logically. So you, I don't ask for this particular data set. I ask for elevation or land cover type. Land cover type is resolved in context to the best data available in that moment. Now, after that, you may worry about reproducibility. And that is the other, the other question. So once you have uh, built one model, then you want, uh, first of all, the, the, the provenance of all that model and all that information to be stored along uh, with your output so that you know exactly what process built that particular model. Yeah. And you're also able to store that exact chain of processing along with your data. So if you want to reproduce it exactly, then you have a way to do that as well. But you can also choose the, the other, the default way, which is to choose the best information available at the moment, uh, which may be different from the one that you have used the last time. Uh, yeah. That is entirely transparent in the system, so you know exactly what's happening. And the, the interesting part of being semantic, uh, the system actually builds you uh, enough documentation for the model, including a report that you can read in English, and uh, documents every single phase and every decision made, uh, and even the alternatives. So if you did choose one particular data set that came up after the, your last assessment, then it will tell you, I chose this one instead of the previous because of these reasons. So hmm. uh, you try to automate all these pieces, uh, and uh, that basically is... Uh, what humans do. The artificial intelligence in the system is meant uh, to substitute the modeler, not to create um, a model, but uh, it is meant uh, to streamline the process, so that, which is a process that normally costs people an enormity of time and enormity of money, and for a lot of developing countries is not even possible because of the lack of resources. So, so do you see tools and frameworks like Aries then as a, as a kind of methodology to help us cope with the explosion of data that you think this will kind of be the model going forward that we'll have systems like this and and you know the, the the tsunami of data will just keep coming and coming and the system will will just be able to process it and we won't because it is true you know traditional ways of doing it where you have to hard code you know this data set influences this and that and whatever it's inherently brittle as data sets come and go or are changed and you know or even as the the frameworks kind of change when we look back at what was recorded 50 years ago or whatever, you know, it's not necessarily clear that it's sure. a useful guideline for what the questions that we have now. Sure. Well, I would say yes uh, to your question, but I wouldn't put it in uh, negative terms as you did, because it basically you said that, that this is this is a way to, to solve a problem, which is the, you know, the tsunami of data as you defined it, which is definitely there and it is definitely an issue. But I would like 
rather go for the for the advantages which are unique in a situation like this because the point is not only handling the amount of data but the discovery of new ways of making observations that may escape the majority of scientists i always had this pet peeve that the, the knowledge we need in order to address sustainable a sustainable future is is been there for a long time we have it we have it all the problem is that we don't have a way to to connect this knowledge because uh, every person, uh, no matter how good or how exper- expert they can be, has uh, is locked inside a particular discipline or maybe is able to talk to another, but there is no real way to build integration across uh, a whole set of disciplines, which is the, kind, the, the context for the most pressing problems like sustainability. Now, a technology like this, uh, by assigning meaning and by using that meaning, is able to get to the best uh, pieces of knowledge, uh, which is human intelligence, but connected together in ways that you may actually not have thought about. And the discovery part of this uh, process uh, is, what, is what excites me, although it's definitely the organizing and the problem-solving part of it is also interesting and important. But uh, for me, I think uh, this, this process holds the key to being able to exponentially enhance the value of the information that we have. It's not really the maybe the 10% of value that we know our information can produce uh, that is interesting to me, of which maybe we reap 1%. But it is the 90% of values that we don't know our information has, uh, which uh, can be unlocked by, by integration. Well, this is, this is, of course, one of the key arguments behind the entire open data movement, Ferdinand, right. that by, by putting the data out there, we don't even know how it'll be used and how it can be connected and, and what conclusions yeah. can be drawn from it. But yeah, I mean, you raise an interesting point about, you know, with these challenges like sustainability, you know, really require a massive multidisciplinary perspective. And, and in the geo industry, in the geo space, I mean, one, one of the very interesting trends is that the technologies have gotten so simple now that whereas it used to be, you would have GIS experts, you know, and, and right. you would have this guy over in the corner who was like the expert on the geo stuff. And when you need to, he had to go through a very complex training to learn how to use it. And, and of course, GIS experts are still around and, and are still doing important work. But more and more, we're seeing geotechnologies being used across a broad basis of, of all kinds of consumer applications and, and, and business applications or whatever. Sure. So, so I think in that sense, it's quite similar. And, and it, it gets more and more. How do we recognize, okay, there's this new technology over here that we could use on this problem over there. Um, and it would unlock some knowledge, which would then, you know, make the connection over to this other place. And, and we can start to find the solutions to hopefully some of these challenges. Right. Yes. So, one of the one of the, the arguments for us was uh, to realize that a lot can be done through semantic annotations. For example, uh, you don't know anything about economics, maybe, but you do know that economics gets into the picture here. And uh, in the end, uh, you need an economist to understand what how the GDP changes in time. Let's say I'm just saying GDP just to say once one thing, but you don't know how it changes with time. And if you start talking to an economist, an economist can start asking you questions that you don't understand, and it doesn't matter how you are. Now, if you have a what we call a worldview, it's a set of ontologies, and maybe ontology is a too, too difficult a word for, 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 for this conversation, but it's a set of computer documents that basically state concepts and relationships between con- concepts. And uh, you can uh, engage the, the, the larger community in order to vet and build uh, this kind of worldview together. 
then you can use it to annotate data. Each person who has expertise in a particular thing can annotate their own knowledge. And it, it's not only just annotating data, which is usually one concept at a time, but it's also annotating methodologies that link concepts together by ways of dependencies and inputs and outputs, etc. And uh, when you have a, enough of a knowledge base that contains this kind of components, uh, then you can unleash uh, an automated process. And for me, that's the interesting use of artificial intelligence. It's not to do machine learning, which is uh, obviously an extremely powerful thing, but it seems these days that it's the only thing that artificial intelligence is for, which in my, my, my understanding is really not even intelligence. It's artificial stupidity because it works by <laughs> association, basically. That's what it does. Uh, that's what stupid people do. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm not belittling that. I mean, it's my amazing stuff, and I use it a lot. But the machine reasoning part, which is kind of out of fashion because it's been tried and not really worked well because people were not up to the task, basically. That is the key to connect stuff. Uh, and uh, at that point, uh, if the worldview is agreed upon and it's just concept, is not method, this is not jargon, it's not people, it's just concepts. Uh, when, is that, when, when that is agreed upon, then the connections may be made uh, and results will be obtained and things may actually change. And that's, that's my hope at least. I mean, that's my, the, the idealistic me speaking, but, uh, but that's basically what I was driven to development of this. Well, maybe on that note, it's a, it's a good point to turn to the kind of broader question. So, you know, most of our listeners here at Geomob are, we have a very broad spectrum of people doing anything interesting with Geo. So this could be uh, software developers, product managers, sure. big companies of startups in academia or hobbyists. So a kind of mixed group, all united by this passion around location and, and the technological possibilities of what are becoming available there. I guess my question for you is, you know, every day we, we see the bad news about uh, climate change, about, you know, destruction of the environment. What is your advice? What can people with this skill set, what is the best way that we can bring them to bear on the issue of sustainability? As someone who's kind of worked on this for a while, what, what, what can we, what would you be your recommendation to a listener? Yeah, well, that's, that's a big question. My, my approach is uh, to give people tools and see what they do with it more than, <laughs> more than telling them what to do, because that, that in itself is a turn off. But the main uh, advice that I would have uh, is uh, to realize uh that the value of what you're doing is not the value you are uh, you are thinking <laughs> it is. Most of information today is being built because of a project or because of a publication or because of something that is predefined. And I think that is a very big mistake. I, I would see very favorably a change in the attitude of any scientist, of any researcher that produces any information, be it data or methodologies, towards uh, the ability of using that information in different contexts than what they're thinking about. And it seems like like a, like a stupid fairy tale, but in truth, if you look at the way scientists hold on to their data or in general the, the generic attitude towards uh, your products, uh, also including the fact that our society is becoming more and more individualistic and capitalizing on things, including publications, etc. What I'm seeing is horrendous. If, if you think of all that, you see that the, the forces are going in the opposite direction of what we need in terms of uh, of promoting sustainability. For me, promoting sustainability is promoting integration, is promoting a conversation across disciplines, is promoting openness, uh, which is... Uh, uh, and, and I'm very concerned about uh, anything that becomes uh, a comfortable place for you to be, like a geospatial community. I mean, I love the geospatial community. I'm part of that. But I don't want to be recognized as 
a community that is by itself uh, something. And at the same time, uh, all this idea that you are doing one particular thing is dangerous because uh, it kind of builds a, a barrier around you. And uh, I don't want to be recognized as somebody who talks a specific language because that specific language in itself is a limitation to what we need uh, to, to promote sustainability. So the main thing for me has to be has been built in, building a system of incentives that can actually get people out of this frame of mind. And I'm not saying that things like being in a geospatial community is a bad thing. But if I can get geospatial scientists to talk to an economist without thinking that the, the conversation is doomed from the start, because they can actually do things together, my, my point is that I'm trying to build the tools and the languages so that uh, this conversation can become natural. And I'm not sure if I answered the question. but uh... No, no, I, I think that's a very good answer, Fernando. And, and I think that meshes quite well with what we try to do at Geomob is so about highlighting the work of people who are doing things irrespective of what their background is, of what their title is, um, encouraging collaboration, encouraging the use of open data, encouraging the publishing of government data. So I think that's a very, very good message to share with our audience and an encouraging, encouraging place to kind of draw our conversation to a close. Any, any final points you want to make or any final messages for the audience here? No, not really. Maybe I can ask you a question. Uh of course. Do you, think, do you think that this conversation can happen without a specific instrumentation? So do you think we are in the situation that we can competently talk about breaking those barriers and building this integration with the technology we have? So my, my starting point was that we, we are not, and we do need a technology that goes beyond and above our ability to, to connect information to information without having to talk uh, human to human uh, all the time. Do you think uh, that we are uh, we are at that point? Uh, do you think we need something else? And if so, what do you think we need? <clears throat> uh, well, obviously not an expert on that, but initial instinct is that humans are by definition social animals. And I, I think with, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had all this rise of what's called AI, whatever that means. You know, you right. see many companies try to make advertising with it. And I don't know, I mean, humans... Humans like knowing how things work, who's behind it, can I trust it? And so I think this idea of just, oh, the machine magically figured it out and this is the best way, hmm. it, I think that's scary for many people. Yeah. You know, it, it goes against the instinct of hundreds of thousands of years of human culture. But what I do think is very encouraging, I mean, I myself am, am very involved in the OpenStreetMap project. Okay. Um, and, and of course, at, at GeoMob, we've had many, many people come from and present from many open data projects. And, you know, when you look at these projects or, the, or let's say the open source movement uh, on the software side of things, you know, you look at how they've emerged over the last 20 years, let's say the last generation, because of things like, you know, the Internet and the ease of technological collaboration. I mean, it's amazing. People from all over the world are contributing into one big project. And on the other side, people are using then that contributed data or software or information in amazing ways that were never foreseen or never envisioned. You know, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here with Geomob as well, is try to provide a forum where the ideas can come together and then get dispersed back out and be that our in-person events or, or on the podcast and, and you know, make people aware of the cool things that are happening. Obviously, that's still on a very human-to-human approach. So I don't I don't know if we'll get to the point where, you know, you'll wake up in the morning and, and the magical AI will say, hey, today you should, you know, this this new data became available and, and the computer now thinks you should do this because so and I don't know if humans will want that. Right. But if you uh, but if we look at the scale of collaboration, I mean, it's amazing how much more people are collaborating. Right, right. 
And of course, there are still disagreements. And you know, one person wants to do X, and the other person wants to do Y. And and but if you look at on the scale of human history, you know, it used to be you would collaborate only with your family or only your tribe or only you know, and then eventually you know grows to your 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 city state and then your sure. your nation state. And now it's it's grown. I mean, it's, this is truly global collaboration. It's phenomenal. Sure. Phenomenal. Sure. Yeah, you're totally right. And I'm glad you brought up uh, OpenStreetMaps, because which, which we use a lot, by the way, and we actually use it in our semantically annotated models as a source of data. I could, uh, maybe the, the best conclusion for this conversation could be uh, my, my hope that, uh, and, and my, my active uh, work into building something that is very much like OpenStreetMaps, uh, but OpenStreetMaps on all the, these geo, geo, geo platforms basically are ways to involve people in finding out how the world looks, right? All the different components of the world, where they are, how they're called, and all these things. What we are trying to build and what I've dedicated my life to building is uh, the, an open street maps of how the world works. And uh, the, I think it is possible. I think I'm demonstrating that it is possible. And I'm hoping that in uh, maybe 10 years, uh, thanks maybe also to, 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 to our work here, we will have a platform that will be able to, uh, to crowdsource uh, opinions and hypotheses on how things change in time and uh, what things do when they interact, uh, like you know, migration flows, these kind of things, uh, which can be freely uploaded and uh, we have enough uh, artificial intelligence to actually select the ones that actually reflect uh, reality. And I think that sums up uh, quite well uh, my mission for the, for the last, uh, this last uh, 20 years. Uh, and I think it follows follows quite naturally for what you said and what you described. An impressive project, Fernando. And I'm, I'm sure it's, it's stimulated many listeners' thinking. So I encourage anyone out there who shares that vision and, and wants to get involved or wants to learn more to, to please get in touch with you. What, what's the best way for people to reach you? Oh, there's many ways. Uh, you can start using our stuff. Uh, I think I put some links in your, in your, in your Google Doc. Or email. We have, we have a number of emails that are generic, so several people read them. And uh, we are under the general name of integrated modeling, 2Ls.org. So there is an info address there, and we have an integrated modeling site where you can find all of these things. So feel free, don't be shy. We are open to all conversations. Well, of course, make sure to have all of that in the in the show notes so that people can get in touch. Thanks very much, Fernando, for a stimulating conversation. This My is, great this pleasure. Is, uh, it's very refreshing also to, you know, a lot of times we chat with people who are interesting startups or whatever, and they have some new feature or whatever that they're trying to present. And those can often be very uh, exciting, but it's also... It's it's good also sometimes take a step back and take the bigger picture and and yeah. look at kind of longer term goals. So good luck with your projects and thank you so uh, much. thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you, goodbye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. 
And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.